Welcome back to our series in Genesis in the beginning. Today we have Chris Dew bring the message and he touches on a topic that is not only relevant, but definitely affects all of us to some degree. Let's listen to what he has to say. What is up church family? How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody good? Come on, man. This place is packed out, man. I'm proud of y'all. This, this is amazing, man. Uh, but it's an honor to be here. Uh, I love this church family. I love your church. I love your pastors here. And it's an honor uh, to be a part of the teaching team here. Uh, I live in South Carolina, if uh, uh, that you haven't heard me yet. Um, and I fly up about every month and a half or two months and have the honor of preaching God's word and hanging out with you guys. So if you would, let's pray real quick. And then let's hop into our scripture. Heavenly Father, we love you. This is your church. It's your word. It's your Holy Spirit. And I ask right now that you would move in our hearts. You would change our hearts from the inside out. God, I pray that you get all the glory for this morning. Draw people to yourself. God, we need your help. I need your help. Speak now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It was about 100 years ago uh, that there was a pastor uh, that was from Germany. Uh, It was really smart and up and coming. I think we have a picture of him that we're going to throw on the screen right here. And uh, he was a scholar and really smart. And everyone was like, man, this guy's going to be the next huge thing. And so uh, he was in school, he got a master's, um, he got a doctorate degree, and uh, that he was uh, planning on uh, becoming a pastor in Germany, Uh, but he was only 21 at the time, so he he was too young to be ordained. And so he ended up in America, and um, he loved America. Uh, He was in school, and he was writing, he was pastoring some, and he was doing all kinds of beautiful things, and life was comfortable here for him. He loved it. Uh, but then he heard about his homeland and how uh, that Hitler was over there and he was rising uh, to power at the time and how the church was compromising uh, the true faith and aligning themselves with Hitler and his ideologies. And so uh, he had a choice to make. Uh, He could either stay in the comforts of America or that he could head home and help the church and help uh, the people of God over there against oppression. And I end up flying back home and, uh, you know, being uh, home with his people. And uh, he was eventually killed over there. He started a school, and he's actually a pacifist, yet he ended up plotting uh, to kill Hitler somehow. He was found out, and eventually he was hung. And over and over again, man, like I'm sure, as he's over in Germany, he was very tempted to come here to America again. All the comforts of reading all the time and writing and just pastoring here in America and and, uh, to be a scholar here and applauded by many people of this is one of the smartest guys he's man all the comforts of America were calling his name all the time as he was suffering in Germany so here's our question that I want to try to get our minds around this morning from this passage 
is how do we combat temptation as it comes at us day after day? How do we combat temptation as it comes at us day after day? This pastor that we just saw, he was tempted day after day to come here to America. The comforts of our culture were calling him, except he knew, i got to follow Jesus, and he's calling me here. So, if you have a Bible, let's flip open the Scripture all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 39. And uh, this passage, uh, we haven't really been in Genesis over the past five or six weeks, uh, so uh, I'm going to give us a quick recap of where we've been so far in Genesis. It opens up in chapters 1 and 2 that there's a creator God who creates everything in the universe. Right? He creates humans. He creates the cosmos. He creates peacocks and really good coffee. That's my type of God. I don't know about you. He's a good God. He creates the entire world and things are flourishing and thriving. Uh, that humans have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. They are uh, experiencing peace and joy and human flourishing. And even human on human, they had close friendships and things were thriving there. And all creation was blessed. Except then in chapter 3, and I wish chapter 3 wasn't in the Bible. I really wish it was chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, and that's all we had. I would be very happy about that. Yet chapter 3 comes along, evil comes into the world, and Adam and Eve say, I'm going to choose sin over God. They are tempted by evil, and uh, that they give in to the desires of the eyes and the flesh and the pride of life. And very quickly when that happens, all that flourishing they experienced is now broken. The close relationship they have with the God of the universe is now split and separation is there and they have this emptiness in their hearts and soul. The closest they have with one another is now also broken and there's conflict instead. And all of creation is cursed as well. So in only the first three chapters of Genesis, what we have is creation and flourishing and then fall and separation. Yet, all through the rest of Genesis, here's what we see, is that that same creator God who made things perfect and good, except then humans kind of screwed it all up, he comes towards their brokenness over and over and over again in a plan of restoration. And so he chooses a guy, Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham and says, hey, bro, I'm going to bless you in order that you can be a blessing to the entire world. And he's blessed and he has kids and then they grow up and this all of Israel is a part of his uh, uh, lineage. And so he says, I'm going to bless you, Israel, in order that you can be a blessing to the entire world. And then it zooms in on one of the sons of Israel named Joseph. And so a few chapters ago that we zoom in on Joseph and he's having these dreams. 
It's like, man, I'm going to rule over all my brothers and over my mom and dad. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a brother or sister, it's like, no, you ain't, bro. I'm going to smack you in the face. You ain't going to rule over me. And so what happens is that they um, take him out in the wilderness and sell their little brother into slavery. And so that's where we pick up our scripture here in chapter 39 today, is that he is in slavery. And he ends up in this guy's house named Potiphar, who's a captain of the guard. He's an officer of Egypt. And he's a wealthy man, and he, he hears about Joseph, and he buys him, and he's in his house. And what the Scripture says, that everything that Joseph touches flourishes. Like everything he puts him in charge of, it just starts to win and thrive. And so he puts him in charge of his entire house and says, Joseph, you're literally equal to me. Like, I'm going to give you all the authority, everything you have. And I just want to have a side point here. But I think that's how people should look at Christians. Like everywhere we go, everything we do at work, everything we touch, I wish people said, man, we should hand them more because they're crushing it. How honest they are, how hardworking they are, how faithful they are. They come early, they stay late, they are working hard. That's how Christians need to be viewed. That's not a part of my message, but I just wanted to say that. And so everything's going good. And then Potiphar's wife shows up on the scene. I'm going to call her Hotifer. It's not her name. But I heard a pastor say that one time, and I'm like, every time I preach this text from now on, her name is Hotifer. Like, I, I just, I can't get around that. So Hotifer shows up on the scene, right? And I think that's interesting, right? Because oftentimes I read this passage and I think, okay, it's like this unattractive lady comes in the scene and is trying to get with Joseph. But Homegirl was probably beautiful. Captain of the guard, high-ranking officer in Egypt. His wife was probably beautiful. And so here comes Hotifer into the picture and likes Joseph. And every single day, day after day, the text says, Hotifer tries to seduce and sleep with Joseph. And so, this is the easiest scripture I've had the entire Genesis sermon series, though. So if you think, oh no, this is going to get awkward. No, just go back and watch all the other ones I've had. This is easy. <laughs> day after day, Joseph is tempted. And frame it up like this, too. He's a young man. He isn't married. He has hormones pumping through his body. And Hotifer comes up and tries to sleep with him. This isn't like, oh, this is just a small temptation. This is a massive temptation for Joseph. It's a legitimate temptation for his flesh. So how do you combat this type of temptation when it comes at you day after day? Because here's the reality that we all, if we're honest, will say we're all tempted every day. We're all tempted in one way or another every day in order to compromise of following Jesus and to give in to temptation. And so how do we combat it? Three points. Here's point number one is that we have to remember. Remember. Explains here in verses eight and nine. 
Yet he refused and said to his master's wife, Hey, behold, because of me, all of my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put me in charge of all that he has. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? As he's tempted, the first thing he does is that he remembers. All through the Old Testament, this is a common thing that is explained to the people of God. Remember who God is. Man, remember how faithful he's been in the past. You're in a covenant with him. Remember what he's done for you over the course of your life. Remember, remember, remember. Except over and over again, what we see the people of God doing is what? Forgetting. Yeah, he was faithful back then with my parents, but now let's worship other gods. Yeah, 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 he was real then, but, but let's, yeah, I don't know. I'll just kind of do my own thing now. Remember. In order to resist temptation day after day, that we must remember our covenant with God, the calling that's on our life, and the cost of sin. This is exactly how Joseph responds, right? He's tempted here and he goes right to the Lord. He says, I cannot sin against the Lord. It isn't just his master, it's also the Lord. It's the covenant that he's in with the God of the universe, except it's also the calling on his life. He had had these dreams. He knew, I'm called to rule in Egypt. Yet prior to ruling in Egypt, he had to learn to rule over himself. If you have a calling on your life and you're like, why won't God open the door? It could be because there's aspects in your personal life that he's calling you to rule. And he won't open the door of your calling until that happens. It's the covenant he had with God, the calling that's on his life, except he also had to remember the cost of sin. Uh, I had a uh, pastor one time I was listening to that gave a great message on primary motivations for obedience and then secondary motivations for obedience. So why do we obey God? What's the, like, how do we have reason for that? Well, one, the primary motivation for all obedience is I just love the Lord, right? He loves me. I know the gospel and I just love him and therefore I obey. I flee from temptation because I just love the Lord. Yet, there also has to be some secondary motivations for obedience because oftentimes, um, I don't know about you and maybe this is surprising to you, but I have days where I love the Lord a lot and then there's days where I'm a little cold in my walk with Jesus. And so uh, he explained this through an example of infidelity, right? So think about this. Why would I not cheat on my wife? Well, first and the primary reason is that I love the Lord and I love her. 
Like, it's just organic. I just love the Lord. I'm not going to do that. And also, I love my wife. Like, I, I just love her. It's organic. I don't have to think about it. It's just, no, I'm not going to cheat on her because it's my wife. Yet, there's also some secondary reasons for obedience. And here's a couple of them. One is that I'm not going to do any better than my wife. <laughs> I'm like a three and a half on a good day. And homegirls are like a 12, Right? I'm just not going to do any better. So I better, man, I outpunted my coverage the first time, not going to try again, right? So that's a secondary reason for obedience. Here's another one. I would lose my job, right? This whole calling thing of preaching, it only happens if I'm walking with Jesus. I wouldn't have anywhere to preach. I would lose my calling and my career, right? Those are secondary reasons for obedience. It isn't the primary ones, but the secondary reasons for obedience are helpful on all the days where my heart is a little cold. And the exact same thing is true with you and I. We are tempted every single day, and hopefully a lot of days it's like, nah, I don't want that because I just love Jesus. He loves me. I'm in a covenant relationship with him. It's good. Except on those days where your heart's a little crusty, Oh, it's just me? Or your heart's a little crusty and you're like, yeah, I love the Lord, but I want to punch that dude in the face, right? There are some secondary motivations for obedience. How do we combat temptation when it comes at us day after day? Well, one, we have to remember the covenant we have with God, the calling that's on our life, and the cost of Sin. So when you're tempted, here's a very practical action step. However you're tempted, if it's lust, if it's pornography, if it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's cheating on your tactic, whatever it is, when you're tempted and you're like, oh, this would feel good, this would be easier, pause for a minute and contemplate the cost of the action. Contemplate for a few minutes who God is, who you are, how you're his child, how you have a covenant with him, how you have a calling on your life and the cost of what you would do. So first is we have to remember. Two is we have to resist. Two is we have to resist. Let's look at verse 10. It says this, And she spoke every day to Joseph, day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. I love this passage, man. As I was reading it, man, part of what I do in my sermon prep is I ask the Holy Spirit to highlight phrases or words that he has for us. And over and over again, as I read this passage, uh, that that phrase, day after day, came up and was highlighted. And here's the reality of the world we live in is that we are tempted day after day. It's not once in a while. It's not no, only on a bat. It's, it's like, man, we are tempted day after day. And I love how it explains in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It's going to be on the screen. Here's what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. Yet whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
John is explaining here that there are three primary ways that every human who's ever existed on earth is tempted with. It's the exact same three temptations that Adam and Eve faced in the garden and they gave into. It's the same three temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness that he resisted. It's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So, first, the lust of the eyes. This is the uh, want or the desire to have more stuff. It's I need more money, I need more possessions, I need that car, I need that house, I need this type of I need more stuff, and then I'll be happy. I love this quote by the great theologian Jim Carrey. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of in order that they can see that's not the answer. How profound. He's standing at the top of the mountain and saying, hey, there ain't nothing up here. Quit pouring out your life in order to get to this place where it's not going to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Solomon also does this in Ecclesiastes. He says, I've had everything that I could ever dreamed of. Like I've had all the stuff, all the palaces, all the anything you can dream of and you've set your mind on. I've had it and it doesn't actually work. We've all heard the example of the people that win the lottery and end up having everything they want, but then they end up... Um, empty still, and depressed, and even kill themselves. Yet a more practical example that the average person faces is that you get pulled into working a little bit more at work, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, because you got to have that truck, you have to have that gun, you have to have that thing. You get slowly pulled in to work in a little bit more, a little bit more, and eventually your heart is cold towards your wife. You have a cold marriage. And that you and your kids are um, hurting in your relationship as well. And it isn't overnight. It's not like, all right, I'm just, man, I don't like my wife and kids. I'm just going to do work. Slowly over time, the lust of the eyes pulls you in and says, I just need to work a little bit more. I just need to have a little bit more money. I just need to provide a little bit more. And slowly over time, it robs you of the flourishing that you desire. That's the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh is the desire to feel better. This is clear with alcohol, drugs, sex, and pornography, except it's also mere comfort. It's how the pastor was tempted to go back to America because of the comforts that he could experience there where he was in pain and suffering in Germany. The extreme example of this is the drug addict who ruins their life because of the desire of the flesh. Yet, the more obvious example or the more practical example to many of us is that we get pulled into the comforts of the screen. And our whole life ends up being, I go to work, and then I watch a screen. I go to work, and I watch a screen. And your heart shrivels 
because you were made for this adventurous life and to live on mission with Jesus, except slowly the lust of the flesh pulls you in in such a way where your whole life revolves around eating cheese balls and watching shows on Netflix. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and then lastly, the pride of life. This is the desire to become something. It's status-seeking. It's popularity-seeking. It's platform-seeking. It's, hey, if I have more followers on Instagram or on TikTok, then I'll be happy on the inside. All will be right in the world. But it's a lie. It promises you life. Hey, if you become a YouTuber and you have this many followers and everyone loves you and you're famous in that way, then you'll be happy in your life. But, but it's a lie. It won't actually satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. This is extremely evident where a lot of the Gen Z and a lot of young people spend all their time on Instagram and on TikTok and on screens and scrolling and anxiety rates are skyrocketing. Because they think, if I, just, if I just get this, then I'll be happy. But actually, this isn't true. And the pride of life is the cultural air we breathe right now, Vineyard. It's everywhere we go. It's everything we see. The pride of life is everywhere. We have a view of the self where internal feelings are more in authority than Scripture, family, or even biology. This is the pride of life. How I feel on the inside is of ultimate importance. I'm my own authority. It's all about the self. And Scripture paints a totally different picture that, no, actually that looks right to man, but that's not the way to life. This world is enticing us in those three ways. Day after day. Life is found over here. The lust of the eyes have more stuff. Life is found over here. The lust of the flesh feel better. Or life is found over here. The pride of life. This is where life is found and it's actually a lie. Just like Potiphar who comes in trying to just slowly pull Joseph into a relationship with her. Hey, nobody's going to know. It's not a big deal. We are enticed like this every single day. So I play this uh, kind of game sometimes. My wife calls it kind of depressing, but I find it entertaining. Uh, But when I'm watching TV, every commercial that plays, I try to come up with which one of these three things it's trying to tap into in order to get you to buy a product. Try it this afternoon. It may be kind of depressing for you. I really enjoy it, right? But it's like... Car commercials where it's like, oh my gosh, if you have this car, you'll be the coolest person in the world. It's like, man, lust of the eyes, I got you. Nah, I ain't ain't getting into that. Or it's a hair commercial. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, if you have hair like this, then you'll be beautiful like me. Nah, lust of the flesh, get out of here. I don't want nothing like that. I ain't ain't tapping into that. But here's what you all need to know. All the commercials have found out that these are the three main ways that we give into over and over again and over again. And we need to resist, just like Joseph did. Day after day, he was tempted in the same way. 
And he over and over again resisted. How do we combat these temptations? Well, one, we have to remember. Two is we have to resist. And then lastly, sometimes we just got to run. Sometimes we just have to run. I have a pastor friend that was engaged. He's about 23 or 24 at the time. And they were trying to do it right. He's like, man, I'm not sleeping with her until we get married. Like, we're just going to do it right and stuff. So he's over there one night. It's like three weeks until their wedding. And uh, it was a little bit later than he probably should have been over there. And they were getting a little handsy. And he knew, if I stay here, I'm going to give in to temptation. So homie hopped up right in the middle of it, like doesn't say a word, just gets up and runs out the door. <laughs> true story, true story. Then he texts her when he gets to the car, hey, babe, I'll see you tomorrow. I can't do this. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to run from temptation. And this is what we see here in verses 11 and 12 that Joseph does. It says this, but one day when he went into the house in order to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house. Hodifer caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He just ran. And here we see that in this moment, right, this is the perfect time for him to give in. Nobody's around. Nobody's going to know. Beautiful woman. Young man. I'm on top of the world. I'm the ruler of this whole house. Why? Man, like this is, this is his chance. Just give in. Instead, he remembered. He remembered the calling that was on his life, the covenant he had with God. He was not willing to trade in him ruling in Egypt one day only for this temporary pleasure. And this costs him something, right? Like, as we keep reading, that we'll see that he was falsely accused here. And eventually he was put in prison because of it. It cost him something to flee from temptation. And here's the thing I want to impress on us. We must flee from temptation even when it costs us something. We have to flee from temptation even when when it costs you something. Let me go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor that we talked about at the beginning. It costs him something to go back to Germany. It cost him his life. And oftentimes I think in our uh, cultural Christianity of our day that we think, man, like Christianity is just kind of over here and it's not going to cost me anything. Like I just kind of follow Jesus, but I'll give in the tent. No, no, no. It's going to cost us something. I love how Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But as you're tempted, he will also provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. This is a promise from the God of the universe, saying every time you're tempted, I'm going to leave a way out. 
even if it seems like, man, I have to give in. There's no way I can get out of this. He's going to provide just a crack in the door in order that you can run, that you can get out of there. He will always provide a way of escape. But here's the other thing. that We can't just run away from temptation. We also have to run towards Christ. I've probably shared this analogy before, but I think it's extremely helpful to explain what do we mean by running towards Christ. Uh, Picture in your mind real quick that there's a person that hasn't eaten in three or four days. They're hungry and they've been asking for food, but nobody will give them anything. They're walking down the sidewalk out here and there's a half-eaten hamburger on the side of the road. You haven't eaten in three or four days. I'll be honest, they're probably picking it up and eating it starving. Yet if you or me walk by that exact same hamburger, we're like, let's kick it in the bush. I just ate this morning. I don't need that. That's nasty. It's got some, I don't know, it's old, it's crusty, it's stale. I'm not going to eat that. The exact same thing is true spiritually. If you're empty on the inside, if you haven't had intimacy with God, that prayer time that we're talking about, and here comes temptation, probably give in because I'm empty. I need something to fill that void inside my heart. Except if you're walking with Jesus, if you're running towards Christ, having intimacy with the God of the universe, you had a sweet prayer time, quiet time in the morning, and then you're tempted. It's going to be like, no, that's a half eaten hamburger. That's a lesser pleasure. So how does this actually look? I'm going to throw a Thing on the screen. I'm not going to throw it on the screen. The people that are way smarter than I are going to throw this little graphic on the screen of the triangle of spiritual formation. And so on this triangle, I think they're going to throw it up there. We'll see. Is it up there? It is up there. So the triangle of spiritual formation, what does it look like to actually run towards Christ? There's three things. One is scripture. We have to renew our minds in the word of God, because these three temptations, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are the cultural air we breathe. And if our minds are not renewed in the Bible, we will give in to these things without even knowing it. We have to renew our minds in the scripture to his community. We have to root ourselves in community. We cannot do life alone. As I'm tempted, y'all, on a very practical level, I have friends I pick up the phone and call. I'm like, hey, bro, I ain't going to do anything, but let me tell you how I was tempted today. And speaking it out loud takes so much of the power away from it. You have to be rooted in scriptural community and biblical community. And then lastly, spiritual practices. This is prayer. This is silence, solitude, these types of things. And we can find refuge in those types of spiritual practices. And all of that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So how can we combat this temptation when it comes at us day after day? Well, one, we got to remember the covenant we have with God. You are a child of God. You're a holy people. You're a holy priesthood. You're holy and blameless without a spot or blemish. It's not who you are. You're holy. Have to remember the covenant we have with God, the calling that's on our life, and the cost of sin. Primary motivations for obedience, 
secondary motivations for obedience. And then we have to resist. These three temptations, just like Potiphar's wife, are calling us day after day, and they're literally enticing. The lust of the eyes, i got to have more stuff. The lust of the flesh, i got to feel better. And the pride of life, I need a platform. I need people to applaud me. We have to resist those things. And then lastly, there's times we just got to run. Just like Joseph did, just ran out of the house. We have to run, flee from temptation, and flee towards Christ. Run from temptation and run into the arms of Jesus with Scripture, real community, and spiritual practices empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's close with the last two verses, 13 and 14 here. It says this, And as soon as Hodifer saw that he had left his garment in her hand and he had fled out of the house, she called all the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in in order to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. He is falsely accused here. He's eventually put in prison, except how this chapter starts off And how it ends is that it says the Lord was with Joseph even in the worst of situations. He had these dreams and the Lord was with him. He was in the pit, the Lord was with him. He was in Potiphar's house, the Lord was with him. He was in prison, the Lord was with him. And eventually he will be in the palace and the Lord will be with him there too. I think it's encouragement to you and I, that no matter what type of hardship we're facing, if we're way down in the valley or on the top of the mountain, everything's going right for us. I just want to encourage you, Christian, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you in the high highs and the low lows. If it's the pit or Potiphar's house or prison or the palace, the Lord was with Joseph and he'll be with you and I as well. As we read uh, the story of Joseph, it's very clear that he's a type of Christ in the Old Testament. There's tons of correlations between Joseph and Jesus. And one huge one is that he is falsely accused. You've heard the gospel before, but it's so refreshing to just hear it. That there is a God who made everything in the universe for his glory and your joy. He made you to know him, to have a purpose and to flourish in life. Except then sin came into the world and it separated us from God and left us empty. And ultimately, that Jesus comes in order to bring about restoration. Yes, in our relationship with God. Yes, in our relationships with each other, except also to the whole cosmos, the whole creation. He came, he lived a perfect life, he hung around with the screwed up people of the world, he was falsely accused of things, eventually arrested and beaten and whipped and flogged and spit on and crucified on a criminal's cross. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and Satan and everything. He hopped up, he hung out for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven and he promises, I'm going to come back one day. 
And when I come back, all will be made new. Satan will go into the lake of fire and burn forever, and this world will be completely restored and redeemed. This is the gospel. And what he did on the cross is he paid for the penalty of your sin. But as he rose from the grave, he gives you the power to overcome sin and temptation. Yes, you're forgiven if you're in Christ, except you also are infused with the power the Holy Spirit lives inside of you in order that you don't have to give in to temptation anymore. Scripture says that he will always provide a way out. How do you combat it? We've got to remember. You have to resist, and then you have to run. Run away from sin, run towards Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for how you speak to us through your word. God, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do in the hearts of all of us. Uh, That for the people here who have been pulled into into temptation, that ultimately your kindness would lead them to repentance. If it's lust, if it's pornography, if it's, you know, whatever else, just pray that your kindness would lead them into repentance. Um, And for the people here, God, that are weary, they are, and they're resisting temptation with all their heart, and they're, they're weary. God, I pray that you would just infuse them with fresh power. That ultimately they would not lose heart. They would not give up. But they would continue to be faithful and understand that a harvest is coming. Strengthen their weak needs. Help them to not give up. And then lastly, God, for the people here who aren't yet followers of you, I pray right now in your name that you would draw them to yourself. You would lead people to genuine salvation this morning. With all heads down and all eyes closed, if you're here and you know, hey, that's you. That's, that's, that's me. I, I, I need a relationship with Jesus. I know I'm a sinner and, and I've tried to save myself so much, but I just keep giving in to temptation and, and, and I, I can't do it by myself. And here today, that you heard the gospel. You heard what Jesus has done on your behalf and you're ready to give him your life and trust Christ for your salvation. Then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you, as I always say, but it's the heart posture. It's the posture of the heart of, I believe. Believe. You can pray something like this in your heart. He's listening. He's closer than your closest thoughts. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Pray something like this. Hey, God. I need you. I just need you. I believe you died on the cross in my place. And I believe you rose from the grave. I repent of my sin. And I place 
my faith and my trust in you. You can have my life. With all heads down and all eyes closed, if you just prayed that and you meant it, would you put your hand over your head for me in order that I can see it? I'm the only one looking around. Anybody else? Beautiful, beautiful, awesome. You can put your hands down, if you would, for the people that prayed. Uh, we have prayer areas in each of the back corners, and just on your way out or um, here in a few minutes, would you just, just swing by there and let us know that you prayed with me? Because this is the starting block, it's not the finish line, and we'd love to walk with you on this whole journey of following Jesus. Man, let's pray one more time, and then I'm going to hand it over to the band. Jesus, we love you. So thankful th for your word and all that you did this morning. Help us to combat temptation. It's all for your glory and our joy and the world's good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.